it's because I bet you the clones have like therapy groups where they're like, someone I thought they, they liked me, but actually it was because they like my original. <laughs> Am I even like people don't like me for me? I okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah. let's finish this episode. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. And Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast all about the science and some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. All about the science here with Abby. And this week's episode is on the film After Yank, which is just a movie that's come out last year. So that's exciting. Look, We're I don't, super contemporary today. I don't have my thingy up. What? So did I say it wrong? You said all about. Okay. Which you've done that. You've done that before. All right. Cool. Um, but anyways, we'll get into After Woo! Yang in a few minutes. But, yes. but first... We'll do our traditional what's happening in your science life chat. Is there anything happening in your science life you want to bring up for discussion? I want to bring up something that is not technically my science life. It's the, but it affects my science life. Um, And I do apologize if anyone finds this conversation topic uncomfortable, but tough fucking shit. I've got my period and I got my period. I knew it. Yeah. And it was really, really bad. And it's really, I'm sitting here now, I've got a hot water bottle, I've taken a Norvan Plus and I've got my cup of tea. But I've noticed as I've been getting older, um, they've been getting way more fucking intense. Like way more intense. Now, today's Sunday, which means that like it landed on a Saturday, which was kind of fine. So like I was at home anyway and I was just going to be doing some work from home anyway, so it's fine. But like the last couple of months, it's landed on days when I would normally be in the office. And I found that like I have to just work from home because it's just been so intense. And I find that like it's just one of these things that we go through as women, particularly women in STEM, where you're just in an office full of men. And I'm just there going like, I'm fucking dying. And like people don't get this, but it's like it and it's different for every woman. But I'm like, I'm in pain. I'm in so I'm so uncomfortable in my clothes right now. All I want is a hot water bottle. I feel ick and I just want to like shower and wear like pajama clothes and I want certain type, you know, light clothing or like cottony type stuff. And instead I'm sitting here in these like really restrictive and, and I'm in my chair and it's just, and it's just all, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just that horrible feeling that you have where you just feel ick for the whole day and you can't say it to anyone Because you're just like, oh, we can't talk about our periods. And it's just like, I just want to be able to be at work and just be like, guys, I got my period. So I'm going to go home and work from bed. Okay. That's all. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm all about this. Actually, I'm, I'm super all about because for me, it does change as you get older. Definitely. Like, but the first day for me is always really bad. Like, Mm. cause it's like the hormone onset. And then I'm like, I get really nauseous and sometimes my head is like, ah, and and I'm all about actually just like uh, go home like yeah I'm all about it and actually my like colleague my direct colleague is a woman too and um, we are lightly supervised I would say like and between me and her she'll be like my period's really bad today I'm taking the day off or I'll say my period I'm taking the day off like between us two yeah we just can say that to each other and 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 like. If I take sick leave, um, 
you know, no one really like is questioning me. It's my responsibility to like get my work done and to be reasonable with my deadlines. So nobody, I'm pretty lightly supervised. Mm. So I'm all about it. Like sometimes periods are awful it's just this taboo thing that we have created within our society where like we all we experience it we fucking go through it it's a normal thing that we that, that we deal with and every woman affects them slightly differently uh doesn't mean you can't do your job doesn't mean you can't fucking um function but sometimes you're in so much pain that you're like i actually can't function today and that's just the truth yeah. of it so i don't know so yeah yesterday just i was not functioning Say it. <laughs> gotta say it sometimes i think yeah. we just gotta break the taboo ourselves like i just think yeah. it's one of those things where it's like there we go i've just said it for the yeah. first time on the podcast i've got my period congratulations it, <laughs> it is really like it is it's one of those things that we kind of just don't talk about as women but like you know there's it's awful <laughs> and we just put up with it and yeah. you know we don't really show men like how hard it really is we don't show that side of us it's like what we get on with even though we're experiencing all of this mm. we keep it to ourselves and i feel like we you know we can show off a little bit like by the way do you know how bad it is and still we get on with shit just so you know i mean like yeah. <laughs> it's bad you know i realize sometimes you know we're so used to blood women are so used to blood you know it's like a very bloody existence and men are not <laughs> as used to blood men have to go to war just to see some blood you know what i'm saying holy crap <laughs> like, all right anyway what's um, your... i have a little discussion point go i have my own little uh, i have my own little um science thing it's like also just in my it's also much directly science either but um a friend of mine you know do you have friends who just send you like people obviously scroll through instagram and just like send memes onto people yeah and you get memes and I yeah. pretty much ignore it because I don't think it's super personal and I, I'm not really interested in memes. But um, this friend just suddenly was like, that's it. I'm not sending you any more memes. You never respond and like, I don't get your humor. And I'm like, OK, you know, <laughs> and then I started to say to this guy, like, you know, look, he's like, I don't even get nothing. You don't find anything funny. And I was like, I do find things funny. I just, you know, maybe not memes. Uh, you know, you and also like, I just like when things are kind of precise is what I basically said. Like when things are really salient, when someone makes a really good observation, I'm like, oh, that's, that's hilarious. Mm. Um, like things make me laugh. Like, for example, I just tried to call my friend and he messaged me, I'm on a date. And I said, it's an emergency. Just kidding. It's not an emergency. And he goes, you fucking wish I was your emergency contact. <laughs> and it killed me. And that's funny. And so, yeah. but anyway, this guy basically said to me, you're too smart for your own good which to me is like a huge trigger. And I think that kind of has smelled <laughs> the end of our friendship because after he said that to me, I just haven't recovered in the friendship. Like to me, that yeah. the saying, saying to me that I'm too smart for my own good, I'm like, exactly how smart do you need me to be? Like, first of all, to laugh at your jokes, but I am a physicist. I'm exactly as smart as I need to be yeah. to do my job. But also, do you really think you're the first person to tell me I'm too smart for my own good? Do you know what it was like? Like, I, I, do you know, like, I've been told that so many times. And there's to be like, I'm not too smart for my own good. It's just because I'm a woman. And so I should be dumber so I can put up with all your shit. And, but I'm too smart to put up with it. And so guys go, you're too smart for your own good. And it's such a trigger that I don't think I'm ever going to recover. And that, no. that was a while ago. But I realized with this person, I'm pretty sure, I'm like, in hindsight, I think our relationship died the minute he told me I was too smart for my own good. <laughs> the, it, I, 
absolutely because do you know what the worst thing about that as well is like all that all that comment is saying right is that i think this is funny and i expect you to entertain me by acknowledging that this is funny and the fact that you don't think this is funny means there's something wrong with you so i'm going to assess what's wrong with you and i have determined that you think you're so smart, therefore you think you're too good for these jokes and that that's a bad thing for you and you should kind of come down a peg to my level. That's basically what that's saying. It's all a load of fucking shit. Kind of what you, it's saying. Like, yeah. how the, like, what the fuck? Like, because you don't find the memes that they send you funny, that that's your problem? Who the fuck does this person think that they are? I'm sorry. Get over yourself. Also, <laughs> I don't have to react to you. It's like it's no. expecting a reaction. Like... I don't need to react to you. Like, it, it's like, also, I make a joke. You don't laugh. I'm resentful. I'm like, make a better joke, bro. Like, what do you want me <laughs> yeah. to say? You're not funny. That's what the that's what the solution here is, dude. You're not funny. <laughs> I've spent a good chunk of my life trying to be different than I am. And then I've accepted, like, I actually can't. There's nothing I can do about being exactly myself. And, like, I'm, I'm pushing 40. And I'm like, I'm, and then someone says, do smoke. I'm like, you shut up right now. Like, you're cut out of my life. Okay. Sorry, you triggered me with that, man. It's so I'm triggered triggering. on your behalf. I'm just like, did anyone ever tell Richard Feynman he's too smart for his own good? Probably. He was. Anyway. <laughs> All right, let's get into the film. We are talking about a film that came out last year called After Yang. Here's my summary. Personally, I have a hard time thinking about AI. <laughs> But after Yang invites us into a world where we can quietly think about it without getting told, AI is coming for us. Let me explain. In a couple hundred years, by my estimation, a couple adopts a Chinese baby. This is a couple in America and purchases a cultural, what's called a cultural techno sapien to give their child some connection to their Chinese heritage. So it's a, it's a Chinese android he is called yang but what happens when yang suddenly shuts down is it death was yang a family member a slave what was he to them but then they discover his memory cache and realize yang had a whole lot going on that they probably never considered they definitely never considered it uh yes he might not have been human but honestly what is so great about being human good question so let's jump straight into um your overall feelings about the film after yang abby what do you want to say i thought it was a really beautiful movie and i think what you said is right it's very quiet and it kind of invites some quiet reflection um about these topics and i think it's a nice way to approach these topics it's not my type of movie you probably know this already. It's definitely not the type of movie that I would choose to watch myself or that I would generally find enjoyable. But um, I found it interesting from the perspective of, of what we're going to approach it to. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, cool. Great. Yeah, that's kind of it. Quiet, quiet reflection. I really loved it. Um, it's my kind of movie. And it was one of, it was like a rare moment for me sitting at home where I was completely focused in on it. Nice. And it is a movie that, I mean, it needs you to focus. You have to really focus on it. There's a lot of detail. Um, so I was like completely just, I loved it. And um, 
at the end I went, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> like I actually verbalized it. So yeah, I get a very beautiful, um, beautiful film. Um, yeah. And this, it was like, it was kind of like there were, there was like original stuff. Like there was some pro- profound mm. stuff there that they said. And I was like, fuck yes. yeah, that's so interesting. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I think before we talk about the, actually let's talk about the cast straight away. The guy who directed, wrote and edited it is called Cognata. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of uh, this person before. They've done uh, other movies, but yeah. I don't know if you've heard about Coconata, but it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> I never, you've heard of him before? That sounds like such a way to say it. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's kind of a big deal, you know? It's kind of a big deal. Um, there's one. You've heard of him didn't, before? Oh, isn't, isn't Lobster his? No, that's Yorgos oh, Lanthimos. Oh, I'm thinking about the wrong guy then. Yorgos Lanthimos, yeah. Um, and let's well, let's get straight into cast yeah. because speaking of the lobster, we have Colin Farrell, who's yes. I'm just thrilled about Colin Farrell's career at the moment yes. in Irish. What do you want to say about Colin Farrell? Um, do you know what I found really interesting is so first one thing that I really liked, and I know you will agree with me on this. I loved that they didn't make them do accents. They all spoke with their own accents. It was just natural. Do you know? So you didn't have to deal with that kind of disconnect. Notice. But it, it wasn't like it wasn't this whole, you yes. know, it was like you, you had the, the daughter is Chinese, the the wife is British and the husband is um, Irish. And then the neighbor, I think, was maybe American or, you know, it didn't matter. Everyone just spoke with whatever, whatever their accent was. So you didn't have to kind of it didn't pull you out of that. Whenever Colin Farrell speaks in an American accent, I go, it's weird Colin Farrell being American. So I didn't. Think about it like that. And what I found interesting, and this is going to sound strange, but there is something very Irish dad about his entire character. The The quietness okay, of it, the, the, the way that he's slightly emotionally disconnected, particularly in the beginning, the way that he's, you know, the value that he puts on things, but... I don't know. It's just there. The way that he played it, I was just like, this is like classic Irish dad. Like, you know, your your Irish dad will always, he'll always care about you, but he'll always be a little bit gruff, a little bit severe, a little bit stern, not emotional. He'll never show you emotion. Um, he'll be very quiet. He'll use very few words to say many things. And it'll always be a lot of silence. So I don't know. I just like, it was just kind of very, um, there, there was something about it that I, I could, I could feel him pulling from all of these Irish men that I know to create this character. And I thought it was really cool. So good. Jodie Turner-Smith, as I mentioned, plays the wife. She is mm. like, she's just, so, she also just says so much while saying so yes. little uh, yeah. as well, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Totally agree. It's a very show yeah, like it's a very show don't tell kind of film, which I appreciate. Yeah, she's um, she's got she's got a very yeah. quiet presence, and I really enjoy her character as well because it feels like, without it being overly obvious, that they did a little bit of a role reversal, on his character and her character. Like, as in, she seems to have the more kind of powerful job, the one that keeps her away later. He's the one dealing with the 
with the issue at home having to you know make sure that yang is okay while she's she's kind of out at work and she's away for nights and and he's at home with the kid kind of in that like it, it's that's that's not entirely correct because it's very they obviously have a very kind of sort of even relationship in in sort of shared responsibilities and stuff like that so it wasn't like they did this whole reversal thing and like she's the man character and he's the woman i don't mean it like that it just felt more like even and yes but also her character was able to be like this strong female character while also being a mother um but you kind of the beginning of the emotion you saw through his character initially not hers and I thought that, that was a different yeah. way on, on how they do things. Yeah, this is a future, a positive future, yeah. a, a positive future to think about where gender is really not as big of a deal, gender role, especially if you're adopting a child, you know, so that really yeah. takes away like the fact that the woman has to sort of do that part, side of it. And you see the fact that she also has shaven hair, I feel like really helps with that. Mm. Um, it's breaking down a lot of those visual things. The fact that this Japanification of the United States and he's wearing skirts and robes. Yes. And I I do think the movie does do this visual cues to us that in the future these are two people, you know, in a family. And it's sort of like family is different in the future because of so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And that's just one, another reason why it's different in the future. Yeah. Um, So moving on to who plays Yang is Justin H. Min. My feeling about his character is he always feels like an android, never exactly like a human. He's like, but it's not like beep, boo, beep, boo. There's mm. something about him which it never crosses over to like human and it stays in this really interesting place of techno sapien. Do you agree? It's a little bit of that um, uncanny valley thing that we've talked about before, which I think makes a lot of sense in, in this, where like they, he's managed to play it in such a way that you're you're very aware he's an android you know he's he's yes. a human person playing an android but you're like oh no he's an android but not as you said beep beep boop boop it's just there's you know he's been made to seem as human as possible but there's something slightly off yes and uh, and the fact that he knows he's an android too which he, we, we can discuss mm-hmm. more uh later and then we have the daughter played by malia emma i, I won't i'll butcher this but chandra which Wijaja. Yeah, I, I kind of want to discuss her character a little bit later, if that's mm. okay, unless you have something to discuss. Yeah, no, we can talk about, about her character. Her. I thought she was very good, though. Uh, she was very... Yeah, think, she was really I think good. it's She's a very lot, talented. This is the thing. I think it's a lot for a child actress to have to play a role in a movie where there's so few cast... And there's no other children. It's like, it's just, you know, she's she's one of the very main characters in this small, small cast. It seems like a lot of weight to have on a very, you know, a, a child's shoulders. But I think she does an excellent job. Yeah. She has an Instagram account, uh, at Malia Emma. She's crazy talented, this kid. Mm. Um, and then Hayley Lou Richardson is in it. Um, yes. What a nice surprise. Love her. And then my last person to mention is Sarita Chowdhury. He's like, whatever, man. Just this female scientist, like woman of color playing the main scientist. I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and she's so cool and she's so beautiful and her outfits. Oh, my God. Yes. So, um, yeah. I also like to well. I actually well... did not have. 
So I kind of, oh no, wait, we can talk about her in a while actually. Yeah. No, I just realized I didn't put a specific section about her as her representation as a scientist in the chat notes. So we can just talk well, about it now. Well, the only thing I wanted to bring up was that um, I definitely, and I think it's, I think it's more, <laughs> this is going to sound strange. I think it's a reaction to the way that movies have, have portrayed things. Um, maybe how they've portrayed this, these types of stories in the past in such a way that it, um, I'm mildly triggered and terrified when certain things happen. So I expected her to be a bad guy. I expected the guy in the shop to be a bad guy. I expected them to be trying to take Yang to try to do all this stuff. And they weren't. It was a very genuine kind, you know, it was this genuine interest. Um, This was something different. They wanted to help. There was no there were no bad guys. There were no evil scientists. There was no, you know, it was none of that. But yes. my brain was waiting for her to do something that made her a bad guy. And, and I like, I liked that. Um, but I think I would enjoy it on a rewatch knowing that she wasn't going to be there. So I wasn't feeling that anxiety and that tension and that fear that I could just enjoy it. Also, can I just you know say that I woman is 56 really years old and she yeah. looks fucking amazing. Yeah. She's in, she's in the Sex and the City reboot too. Mm. Um, She's like the new Samantha. So I thought it was going to go, oh, and they were, thre- and they were hinting this. I love that it was a bait and switch. They were like, oh, China made in China surveillance. This is going to be about privacy. This is going to be surveillance. And it's because it's made in China yeah. and it's going to be all about this and all about that. And it was, and, and it was like, nope, this is actually about none of that. And I love that. This is not yeah. going there. This is going somewhere completely different. And I think that that was intentional. You are supposed to feel like, oh, this is going to bring up this whole traumatizing topic again. Yeah. About are we constantly being surveilled? Are we bringing products into our home that are recording our every move? Nope. No, they, they went somewhere totally different. I appreciate that a lot. Mm. Uh, that's the rest of the cast. Actually, let's segue straight into themes. Because yes. the theme I wanted to bring up is, which is the great conversation in it. This conversation, I was like, holy shit, because, because... Um, when she asks Haley uh, Ada, you know, did he ever was he ever sad that he wasn't a human? And she's like, no, like, wh- what do you think is so good about it? Yeah. And then she said, he did wonder if he was really Asian. And I was if like, he was really Chinese. Chinese. Yeah. If he was really Chinese, and I was like, wow, whoa, yeah, like, yeah, like. Totally. They make this sort of Chinese looking thing and load him with facts. And he's like, but does it make me Asian? And it kind of blew my mind because firstly, it was like, yeah, race is a a construct. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, but then on a deeper level, it's like, what is I did see great video essays. There's not much on YouTube on this movie, but one Mm. of them is called. After Yang is about being Asian Americans, very easy to find. Yeah. And this guy said it's it's about many things, but for him, like it's about when you grow up Asian American, you were born in America, you have no experience of any of these things. You could know facts, you could look Asian, you could know fun facts about tea, but you will never really understand what it's like being in China. And um, people expect that from you specifically as an Asian. Why do we, we do that? We do that with, and you're so right. And particularly, um, and I obviously, obviously don't have any experience of this, but I, I'm sure that if you grow up Irish American, 
there's no questions whatsoever on your culture, your heritage, where you're from or or treatment of how you're supposed to behave because you're just a, you know, if you're if you're not like if you're a white Irish person, um, then you're just you're just American. Uh, you know, you're just treated as just American. But if you're Asian, because if you look like you come from somewhere else, if you have different features, then suddenly you're supposed to acknowledge you're supposed to be defined by a different cultural identity rather than being American and a, a culture that you might not actually have any connection to other than what your physical features show. But for the rest of us who like our physical features don't necessarily show what our cultural heritage is. It might be similar for you as well. Like you, you have like Jewish heritage. That's your your culture is Jewish. But people might not look at you and immediately say Jewish. You would be treated yeah. as Australian first rather than Jewish. And yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to yeah. me um, how, how we treat people in that way just because of their, their features might identify them um, as, as having some other kind yeah. of cultural heritage. And that, that but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting um, question. And it's endless. So this, I think it is an incredibly strong theme in the best possible way is that it doesn't answer the question for us. It just puts it in this different sort of context with the, with this Android and allows us to be like, oh my God, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's an ongoing thing, you know, like I'm Jewish. My son is Jewish in the way that how Jewish people are Jewish because their mother is Jewish. But I want him to be you know, access to all modern things. But then it's always, it actually struggled for me, like how important is a Jewish education for my child? And actually, I think for anybody that has cross cultures um, and there's always a struggle between the past and the future and the present. And then it makes you question, well, how important is this to me? Like if I just raise him Australian or whatever, secular, um, does he have a right to a Jewish education? Does he have a right to be taught you know, the language of scripture at a young age. If I don't teach it to him, will he be angry at me because he won't be able to read his bar mitzvah parasha? You know, these are questions that swirl around in one's yeah. head. And I, and it is endlessly interesting um, and always a, a good theme. So that was that. But um, it, uh, that's that's the theme I wanted to bring up. What th- what did you want to bring up in terms of themes? Oh, I think didn't I? I I had this thing about how I just I just think that it's a really beautiful story in how to deal with grief. I just think it's a it's a beautiful depiction of dealing with grief, and you know, uh, taking the whole techno sapien side of it out of it completely, and the android thing and everything like that. The main kind of message within that that grief story is how would you react and how would you respond if you were able to have access to the memories of the person you loved whole dearest you know seeing the things that were important to him seeing the moments and the things that he wanted to save that he specifically wanted like it's one of my favorite bits is that that moment when um when the dad character sorry i actually can't remember their names i've just realized uh, is Jake. Jake where Jake is watching from Yang's perspective and remembering back when they took the family photograph and Yang taking that moment yeah. to save the image of them and and just that that kind of like I just thought isn't that such a beautiful dream for so many people who have lost a loved one and who grieve a loved one to to 
to, to have this kind of act and, and some people will have it like you you know you might have journals or you might have photo albums they kept and it's they're all the little depictions of, of what that person held dear and the things that they wanted to save and their little memory boxes and stuff like that and I just thought I just thought it was played in a really beautiful way and yeah beautiful that, that's all it was so beautiful and um, i'm gonna jump but like i'll just go with the flow of the conversation because who is who who like the gift of being like who, who was this person i can't think of a better way to illustrate who he was than what did he find important enough to record yeah um but this reminds me of at the end of blade runner roy's character saying all those moments will be lost like tears in the rain yeah all those things like in your memory bank when you die it's all lost and in this movie it wasn't yeah lost they got to watch that and yeah like i guess anybody who's experienced grief where you have so like how important was i etc um it was like for them to actually see that from his point of view and for them to come to this sort of understanding that he was in their family. He like, he was a family member to them. Being able to see a collection of all of those little moments that we never really kind of are able to hold on to because, you know, you ruin it by having to go get your phone to take a photograph and the moment's gone. So we don't have the, that memory yeah. bank of it, but we saw it with Yang. Yang gave us that memory bank and it was yeah. beautiful. The leaves blowing yeah, in the absolutely. wind, the, the person sleeping on the couch. It's, you know, it's it, just brief, brief flashes. Little moments between the couple. Yeah. Little attender moments. Things that we don't actually have a way to capture, but... Yes. but Fuck, wasn't it beautiful? Anyways, all right, let's get into trope of the week. So we have a section where we talk oh. about some tropes. All right, welcome to our first section, 40 minutes in, trope of the week. Abby, do you have any tropes? Clones? Frozen? <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing shit out there. Clones! There we go. <laughs> I don't know, I, yeah, felt like this movie, my... I felt like this movie was very anti-tropes. Yeah, clones you know? is my what the fuck, by the way. <laughs> or like you've got like you know? I mean the whole the whole movie is like it's it's a, a white Irish guy in Japanese clothing following a Chinese tea ceremony. Like what? <laughs> How is there Where's a trope, the trope in that? Where's the trope? <laughs> I, just, I don't even know what to say. It's true. I know. My my trope was a precocious precocious child. <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't think of anything but yeah. just this incredibly precocious kid <laughs> um yeah stumped for tropes in this one yeah. i actually my first the second ever movie we did was moonfall and my what the fuck was clones and i still feel the same moon. way about clones just to clarify it was moon, moon not moon. moonfall we did moon. do moonfall but they're two very very different movies <laughs> sorry <laughs> okay let's get into science mm -hmm. all right i got some science here loads of loads of topics um let, before we get into ai fun stuff i want to give a minute to talk about the world building because we are in mm. a future i would say it's like 300 years or 200 years ahead 
Um, and it's again, show, don't tell. The technology is kind of around all the time. It doesn't really make a fuss over it. So I listed a few things that I thought were worth mentioning. Um, also the, the Japanification, like I, random, you know, she's, she's in, um, kimono, the little girl, she's in kimono tea. I am very partial to some Japanese food for sure. Mm. They eat ramen pretty much exclusively. They're just always (laughs) eating ramen. I love ramen. Um, Interesting stuff. Okay, moving on to other future stuff. Another thing about it was the clarity of the sound and the audiovisual. Anytime anybody made a call, anytime anyone was on video, it was like they were there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which, you know, is like going to happen. It's totally going to happen. Yeah. Like for sure. And, um, Another one is, I'm going to get to the coolest one later, but the other one I noticed, the, the TV glasses are obviously super cool. Um, yes, yeah. That yeah was... He just looks so cool sitting there, sitting there in his cool glasses. He looks like such a, <laughs> like a shithead just sitting with his glasses um, <laughs> and you realize like he's shithead, watching yeah. stuff. Of course, you know, there, there are Google, they don't look so cool and they're kind of yeah. dumb, but I mean, why not? Hmm. They're very purposefully. The last one I love, yeah. Can I just say, because it was very purpose, it seemed to very purposefully be done, where even when they had those video calls with people, they didn't show screens. At no point in in the movie did they ever show a screen. It wasn't the, the outline of it. You only saw the outline of the person standing in whatever room they were in talking. So it was, it gave you that feeling of them being there. And even with the glasses, it was like, you knew what, you knew he was watching and we, and we watched the video with him, but you never saw the screen of the video. And I think that that really helped to, yes, it really helped to keep the technology within this very minimalist style of of a world where to show how you could potentially integrate technology in a way that's not um so intrusive and so in your face and so always centered around that your life was centered around that technology so i thought that was really cool i want to live in that future well said it also didn't do it didn't go to the trouble of inventing new technology because that's always Mm. that's always means it's going to be somehow it's going to be eventually dated the movie yeah so i suppose by never explicitly showing what the interface is the the point of the matter is this technology you really feel like you're talking to the person end of story yeah <laughs> they're there at the end and yeah again it, you didn't have technology constantly be there so yeah I, I i love what you just said and the last thing was the self-driving cars and they're obviously through some mm-hmm. tunnel system i don't know what it is but the moss in the back of the car did you have any feelings about why there was moss in the back of the car do you know what this is any weird theories? I could give you a theory on it, but there's a weird thing where I saw it and just didn't even think it was weird. I think I saw it and thought, nice. <laughs> I, I I would give two yeah, theories. I would give two theories on it. Number one, if they're constantly traveling within a tunnel system, there's no greenery, there's no anything. So to to add nature back into the experience of traveling through this automated tunnel system to keep people connected to nature because we do see that like in no matter what community we're in people do recognize the importance of being connected to uh, you know it's like it's 
within London, it's one of those things where every borough has to have a certain amount of green spaces to the amount of residents, you know, and things like that. And weirdly, I did a project on this when I did my undergrad where uh, we looked at what the effects would be of putting hydroponics bays into the underground system for the tube as a way to clean up the air from all of the um, the fumes and the particulates that you get under that you get in the tube to use plants to try to, to pull that in and also to create more fresh green spaces in the underground um, that you could use moss walls and stuff like that to create green spaces. So this is a thing that is happening and it, and it happens in cities as well to try to reduce the pollution in the cities. You can use moss walls and in offices as well. And it kind of just creates a, a more connected feeling to nature and a greener space and stuff like that. So yeah, so I think I think it makes sense that you would have uh, some sort of a moss section to uh whether it's just as a direct connection to nature or whether it has some sort of benefit in terms of um collecting pollution Powering. yeah oh yeah yeah no i love it i also just accepted it i just was like cool i yeah. think very <laughs> nice. yeah cool stuff um any other technology did you notice anything else that was all i really noticed um no i just do you know what i wasn't even it didn't it didn't pull me into that. It didn't pull me into a a situation where I felt like I had to be focused on what what like what the future was, what this science fiction style place was. Like it just it didn't have that feel to it. It was where everything felt natural and like it made sense that it was there and it wasn't out of place and it wasn't, as you said, having to create mm. all this new stuff to try to that would then date it. It was just yeah. yeah, I don't know. I like the nah, style cool. of it. Now that we're talking about it, I, I hadn't really thought about these things. And I'm like, yeah, I'm into that. Mm. All right, well, let's get into the artificial intelligence that's in this movie um, because we have a central character that's AI. And I thought I could break it down into two sections. One is the physiology and construction of him. And the other one is the sort of thoughts about AI uh, that comes up, the, the sort of... Uh, more interesting ideas mm. so I think let's just talk about the physiological stuff because it is pretty interesting and I kind of wanted to break it down first with what we know from what they tell us and then maybe what we can infer mm -hmm. we know he can eat and drink we don't know if he has to okay um and the, he does drink tea um they do have a meal together and I kind of thought he didn't eat the meal and he just said that was really good so i was like he didn't eat it so that, that was i noticed that so i thought he can't, doesn't eat or but then he drank the tea so it's sort of ambiguous to me whether he can or he can't um and then of course we know he can decompose he will decompose after he shuts down there is a lot of talk and I just love the repair shop where they were like, these are the 12 parts we can fix. Those are all working. But unfortunately, it's the core. So there's nothing we can do. But we can uh, recycle him for parts as long as he hasn't started decomposing. Or we can uh, take his head and his voice box and repurpose <laughs> it into a virtual assistant. Yes. And, and Colin Farrell's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. He's like, what? So that was amazing. Um, but I just loved that um apple shop vibe of that guy yes. who's like the 12 parts are working that's yeah. what we do um and i tried to stop the look at the poster like to really see and i, I just couldn't find that poster online i couldn't oh, you know no. it's like 
Um, but I tried really hard. So I had to really infer, I had to kind of infer it. Luckily, my chemical engineer, my chemist friend was uh, with me uh, last night. So she helped me uh, surmise a lot of this stuff. So he decomposes if he shuts down after some time. So clearly being powered is important to him not decomposing. Yeah. Uh, that is clearly what I'm, that implies. And so if that's what that implies, then let's, what we can infer. Um, and here's where I'm going with this. So we, we have, we are powered, obviously, mm-hmm. um, like a battery. We can think of him more like a battery. Like if you don't power if the battery, it starts to collect fluid that are toxic and it decomposes the battery, right? Yeah. So if you think about we are a battery, <laughs> think of the matrix yeah. we are and we have energy sources um we produce energy we are kind of running all the time and when those systems shut down we also begin to decompose so i thought if i think about the mechanisms of our own decomposition it might help to sort of understand a little bit his decomposition because yeah. he has a power source that is obviously not pa- not the same as our power source he has to have an external one we have an internal one so that's how we're different but the both things are the same is that when we don't have that power source we both decompose. So he is made of organic matter. Um, he is made of cells that is biological, but his cells do not have mitochondria in them is the difference, right? Okay. Our cells have mitochondria inside, which act as our energy source. That is what keeps our cells alive through, well, and and before I say how it does that, I would say cells that do not have mitochondria die. They do okay. not stay alive. An example of that is sex cells do not have mitochondria inside them. Therefore, they quickly die. Sperm quickly yes. dies unless it goes into a process which then, you know, can, has within it cells with mitochondria that can power it. So we have, we are made up of cells. Our cells have mitochondria in it. That is what gives energy that allows our battery to run. Um, Now, what is the cause of cell death? Always death in humans is the lack of oxygen. Oxygen deprivation is what causes everyone to die. Yeah. Because when we're deprived of oxygen, it ceases the, the chemical reaction that with the mitochondria uh, generates energy molecules that it actually maintains our function, our biochemistry, let's just say. Food plus oxygen plus our mitochondria produce the energy which powers us. Right. Where does oxygen come from? Either, well, it's blood carries the oxygen. So either a heart stops pumping, a lung stops breathing, anything which stops oxygen from traveling and doing its job, uh, which is the aerobic respiration, will cause cell death. Um, And, for example, with stroke, the ceasing of blood flow to an area will eventually cause in the brain mm. cause the cell death um and so what so that's basically what caused so you stop producing 
the energy molecules. And so the question is, once that happens, what then causes uh, like decomposition? And what it basically is, is like a pooling of fluids or yeah. like whatever the toxic byproduct of those reactions start to just collect. And that's what starts to just seep out and kind of self mm. digests, you know, humans and cells and things like that. Right. So uh, it's basically that you stop producing energy cells and you end up getting all this byproduct just built up. And that's basically what ends up eating things. So from that, I'm going to infer that Yang has an external power source that is different from us to replace the lack of mitochondria. And he does have cells. He is made of organic mm. matter, but yeah. he has to be powered by a different source and that shuts down. And the, and the only question that I cannot answer is what is his power source? Does he, is it food? Well, in uh, Alien, yeah. they drink the milky hydraulic fluid, and that's their power source. So it's just like we don't know what his power source is. Yeah. So I've had a – yeah, so I, I tried to – I pulled up the movie and I tried to pull up that um, image, which, of course, is blurred. Because <laughs> <laughs> they blur it out. Love them for that. <laughs> but it did make me think. It's like it, – so we talked about this when we talked about Big Hero 6, right? And it made me think about yeah. this idea of some sort of a skeletal structure that makes sense that there would be some sort of skeletal structure that might be made out of hardware. And that skeletal structure could be in 12 parts. And they're the parts that they could fix because it's hardware. So, um, but the part that overlays it, uh, and we and we talked about it with the people who are trying to develop... Um, synthetic skin and certain materials that would go on to like particularly the the medical health robots and stuff like that where it's more tactile and you know has has a better feel yeah. that um then creates the human appearance uh but if it is made out of uh growing some sort of uh synthetic but organic not synthetic sorry organic uh skin and stuff then that that skin will still need oxygen i guess so it still needs some way to get oxygen to the body so that it doesn't decompose and his core mm. processor must have some way of doing that some way of re replicating it in some sort yeah. of a way it's yeah. powering something yeah which uses oxygen as a key element probably yeah that's really stuff. cool it is really cool and it's and it's it's interesting, but it's also not that far-fetched from what we do know of robotics and what we can do and what we can like grow in labs and 3D print and things like that. It's not insanely far-fetched to think about it um, as being something. It would take a lot of work to get to the point of having, you know, yeah, something function in that way, but it's cool. Um, okay, so now from the physiological aspects of him, I thought that there's the AI uh, discussion stuff, and I don't want to just go over the same thing about what does it mean to be human. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I thought I would actually turn it around into a real AI conversation. Okay. You know, I want to respond in a sense. I want to respond to what Zeitgeist is sort of going on about AI um, with my own technical knowledge of AI. 
Um, and also just my, my passion about like precise criticism of something and not using vague terms and mm. theoretical things, like to really talk about technical, um, technical things and, and to be precise. Um, so this, there's a lot of negative ideas of AI, and I think that it comes from the notion of the singularity, the singularity being this hypothetical uh, future point where technology, technological growth <laughs> becomes uncontrollable and unstoppable, right? Mm. Um, and we play on this, uh, we could kind of play on the semantic definition of the word singularity and that in that you know, future, the AIs all connect to each other um, and become one looming force that'll, that'll overtake us, humans versus machine. But in this movie, we have uh, two points that make it different. One is that the growth is entirely non-problematic. It does present us with the idea that he does have a a degree of growth, which was unexpected, but it's fine. Like it it doesn't pose a threat. It's interesting. And they want to study in a museum as, you know, the female scientist is just like, shit, this is so cool. And it Mm -hmm. isn't this terrifying growth. Um, We just accept that Yang is a person. And we move on with our lives. And he doesn't threaten our idea of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't threaten us literally. and He doesn't threaten any ideas about humanity. We do see that there is a line between human and AI. Um, but rather that like make a parade about, wow, being human is so much better. We just say, um, you know, it expands what it means to be a human, basically. Yeah. A, a person, sorry. We just say he's not a human, but he's a person. And now our definitions of what it means to be a person is now expanded uh, how beautiful uh, yippee um, and that's kind of basically it's just a different way of experiencing the world it's as beautiful and terrible as being a human we have good things and bad things about being a human beautiful things but also terrible things because of our sort of need for resolution and the, the fact you know there's so much about being a human which is shit um, and there's so much about being an android which is shit for him too and um, and then on the second front of the AIs all teaming up He's just an individual. He's not connected to other AIs. Mm. He is one example. He is one instance of an artificial intelligence. And he lives, he dies, the end. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, well, it just sort of challenges this those things on those two fronts, I feel. Yeah, no, Negative it's true. It's, uh, like you said, it, it's you know he lives, he dies, and it's and it's in his death and in having access to those memories that they're able to see how important they were to him and acknowledge and come to terms with how important he was to them. And that question then, as well as as they they come through, you know, having him on display and and the way I. I that was kind of one of my favorite things, just the way it ended where he said, I was like, I don't want him to be on display, but I do think we should let them study his memories because he's like, I acknowledge that this is something unique and that this is something of interest, but this person was a person who was a member of our family. And for that reason, I want to respect, I want to respect their, their, their physical being as a member of our family and not like this, um, display technology object but who he was as a person you know i would like to be out in the world i don't know i just it was it was quite a beautiful um way to look at it i guess that that is you know less about as you said less about like oh an 
the uprising, the the joining together, the everyone, you know, becoming then a big question about what his role in society was. Because it wasn't about his role in society. It was all about his role in that family. And that's all it was. And at the end of the day, yeah. he was a son and a brother. And it's no one's business. It's like yeah. it's, it's like putting on display. It's almost putting a mummy on display in the museum. Yeah. And there's one thing studying it to understand it from an academic point of view about ancient Egypt. It's quite another to put on display. Mm-hmm. That's a person. And so I just feel like that, that really made a lot of sense. Like they want his stuff to contribute to the world and for it not to be forgotten. But there's a limit. Yeah. Because they loved him. Uh, so what I want to do now is talk about this whole threat of the singularity, the unstoppable learning. And I mm. want to sort of talk about where this comes from. Um, why is this fear a thing? And I think what it expands from is the idea that AI, when left to run, <laughs> will eventually do something that is unexpected. Mm. Uh, and then we take that idea and push it to the fact that it's unstoppable and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and what does it mean? I'm going to get like so scientific now and of course so boring, but like if you want information about AI and to learn something, then you can listen. If you want to just be like, get the sexy stuff, all good. But I feel like we have a teachable moment and (laughs) why is it that we think AI will eventually do something unexpected? And then from that we go, Oh my God. Um, what would be unexpected? Why is it a problem? And I do, let's just disarm the threat a little bit. And I think that it is a, a problem, but I don't think it's a problem in the way that it's portrayed. Right. I think it is a scary thing, but what I think the problem comes from is it stems from the idea of the black box problem of AI, which is a very well-known problem in machine learning and deep learning. And um, I explained to you what the black box problem is. That's what presents the threat. That is a problem. Why is it a problem and what are the solutions? I'm going to illustrate this in reference to deep learning models. Now, that is now um, before we... well, before we talk about what a deep learning is, let's just go back to what a traditional statistical model is, okay? Like a traditional model. A statistical model uses a typical linear function. A linear function is y equals mx plus c and similar things to this. Such a thing multiplied by a constant plus such a th- another thing multiplied by a different constant times the thing equals the answer. That is a linear model where the interactions between the different variables are low order. They interact with each other directly. That's a linear model. And these is typically in traditional statistical modeling, they use linear models. Um, that's one thing. And The other thing about traditional statistical models is that variables that you put in X, Y, Z will stem from our own understanding, already known ideas about causal pathways. A causal pathway means one thing causes another thing. With statistical modeling, typically what happens is you're, inv- you're trying to find out the relationship between two things that you already know have a causal relationship. So it starts from something which we already know. What we aim to find with statistical modeling is what is the 
exact or almost as exact as possible mathematical relationship so that we can start to make predictions. And this can be used in economic, uh, health economics and whatnot, trying to predict and understand how things might be. And that can help a lot with, with sort of decisions in society. Um, let's give an example of things that we have that have like a very strong positive correlation or things that we know one thing that we know causes another thing if i ask you abby to give me an example of a causal pathway which you're pretty sure about just like any the first thing that pops to your head what causes something i mean how many minutes in a toaster causes the toaster to burn (laughs) shit like that you know you put that you press the toaster down a bit later five it pops minutes. up five minutes and the toast is too done <laughs> yeah so it'll be like the amount of minutes in the toaster correlating with the toastiness of the bread yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a causal pathway i know this causes this right yeah. um i wrote the grams of valium that <laughs> cause sleep more sleep Okay. So you go, how many grams of Valium per kilos of human leads to many hours of sleep? How many minutes of walking per calories you can eat? (laughs) Yeah, like how many calories are burnt off? Yeah. These are all very strong causal pathways that somebody's put numbers to, by the way. And then you have apps that go... You've burnt this many calories. I mean, do they really know how many calories you've burnt? No. But someone's done statistical modeling to try to kind of figure it out based on data. They've observed a yeah. lot of people. Maybe. Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. Did you question where it came from? And they built statistical models that kind of they're about say, look, if you eat this ice cream, this is how much you have to walk to burn it off because we know there is a causal relationship between the amount of the amount you walk and how many calories you burn although it's also subject to how fast you walk uh how how much you sweat i don't know how fast you walk how big you are how hot it is how humid it is and and then that's what these what these apps and these algorithms do is like you know you wear your your watch and it tracks your heart rate and it tracks your pace and it figures out you know what distance you covered in what time so it can figure out like how quickly you're able to do it and your heart rate determines at what kind of uh, position within it is and then they use all of that to figure out an estimate as to how many calories you could expect to burn and it will be more dependent it'll be more related to you the more you use it because it learns more about you know you know it figures out it's like well this is you know we've got this data and we know that like if you walk for 30 minutes you should burn this amount of calories if your heart rate is this amount but we know that you covered it in 25 minutes because you walk faster so yeah, therefore yeah. So, you've burned a bit more exactly. calories and, and, and it just figures that out Better based models. on how it, what it knows about your pace. And it can only get that information totally. by tracking you over time. So it's kind of learning, but it's not machine learning because it's not, it's inferring directly from data that you're giving it. Yes. And I think that the main, the main most important distinction between statistical modeling and deep learning modeling or machine learning modeling is a subject to user input based on known causal pathways we and it's just like how sophisticated are these models in terms of how many variables is it taking in and how is it recording are the variables taken from other people that are similar to you or is it from you 
Mm. How good is it? How sophisticated is it? But I think we can separate the line when we talk about what are known causal pathways that we have investigating and are using to boost the model and whether we are not using known causal pathways. I think that's the, that's the important distinction. That's the difference between that's what statistical mm. modeling is, is all about. And I think it's very important because then there isn't really a mystery in how it turns out because we fed it our ideas. Where does deep learning come in and kind of make a problem is that we do not choose which variables you put in that are based on known uh, causal pathways. You just got everything at the model. For example, instead of extracting the size of the stroke from the image, you put the entire image in and all the clinical data, like loads of clinical data, and you allow the deep learning network to figure out on its own to predict without necessarily telling you why and how it came to those decisions. Just happens to be it does a really good job, but because that deep learning network, we've put a lot of data in it, uh, and what a deep learning network has is you can put as many like channels of information as you want, this, that, this, that, whatever it is, what a deep and, and what a deep learning model does is it goes incredibly deep and what by deep i mean you, let's say you put 100 different variables of information the first layer puts each variable's interactions between each other. The second layer goes the interactions between those interactions. The third layer goes the interactions between those interactions between those interactions. The fourth layer goes fourth order interaction, fifth order interaction, a hundred layers in your hundred hundredth order interaction between the original variables, which is so complex that we cannot follow this at all. This is what's called hidden or latent features that it's extracting from the data that it determines this is what causes the prediction. This is the black box. We cannot follow this logic of it that yes, mind you, there are white box solutions where we can sort of extract heat maps at every layer if you want. I mean, it's in, like very intensive, but people may or may not be able to keep up with how sophisticated the deep learning models are, especially I'm thinking about something like ChatGPT with the amount of variables that it has for language and the sophistication of the models, there comes a point where you can't, like there is an inevitable point that the AI models will produce something inexplicable because we have used a black box for so long and continuing to feed it more data, more data, more data. And we can't really follow the logic. It's not explainable. Um, we can't interpret the results. And therefore, there is an inevitability that it will do something that we cannot explain. In fact, it already does things that we can't explain. The why that is dangerous is in a medical field, especially where we're talking about augmenting healthcare decisions... We're talking about augmenting healthcare decisions. That is, here's the healthcare decision I would make. With this additional information that is from AI, I'll make a different healthcare decision. Fast forward a few decades, we've come over-reliant on these AI models that are doing a great job. What happens when it inevitably does something unexpected because it will, because it is a black box and we don't 
know that that's happened because we've become over-reliant and it makes a wrong decision. Who is responsible for that wrong decision? How do we predict it? How do we know that it's happened? And of course, who ta- who takes responsibility? Who owns it at that point? Is the I don't even know where to begin as to like who would take legal responsibility for such a thing. And so that to me is something that will happen does happen we haven't really sorted out the personal responsibility of ai when it makes decisions we will become over reliant on things and lose certain skills to figure it out that is quite scary there are solutions i don't think that this is like so scary because ai is going to make the wrong decision about a treatment pathway in a medical setting and therefore it's going to take over humanity you know, I don't think it's necessary to blow it up. What I think is necessary is to just come up with solutions to combat that particular problem. If we can, maybe we don't have the collective will to come up with solutions. But what I'm saying is that instead of having these annoyingly vague discussions about singularities, what I would like to see is a more nuanced discussion about what actually are the challenges, what are we seeing, what is going to happen, and how can we just come up with better solutions for that instead of going on about all this bullshit about singularity. Um, and that's what I'm basically, I'm explaining what is the threat. Where does it come from, the idea that AI will be unexpected? Why has that got nothing to do with the fact that it's all going to have uncontrollable growth and get together and take over humans? It's got nothing to do with that. It's to do with the fact that we have black box problems and that is a huge leap away from statistical modeling. And that's my speech and that's what I think about that. Okay. Did that make any sense? No, it made a lot of sense. I'm just trying to process it because you said a lot. (laughs) I did. Um, So here's here's how I feel about it. Okay? Okay. I have no issue with the use of machine learning, with, uh, with the black box aspect to deep learning models. I really, I think it can be very, very useful. But I think many, 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 many people misuse it. Many people view it as a solution, as a catch-all solution to any issue that you can just chuck your data into a machine learning model and it will give you a result. Instead of recognizing, I mean, you know, I know the amount of time and energy you have to go into to cleaning your data before you put it into a model. To So for me, my perspective is that machine learning only works if you give it a very, very, very high volume of data. So if it can learn from an incredibly high volume of data, then it can give you very good results. It can give you very good information at the end. But if you're training your model on really, really low volume data, and also if your data is not like, if your data is taken in different circumstances, do you know what I mean? Like, like if you, yeah, like if you, if you really? are taking data from, oh, well, like, like, like from the medical side of things, if you think about it from the medical side of things, if you're, if you're putting in data, but it's like, oh, it's all been taken from different places under different circumstances, then there's differences in your data sets already. So you don't have one massive data set. You've got many, many, many smaller data sets that all have inherent differences in them because of the way that the data was taken initially and processed before you then put it into your overall system. So it's like, how much information are you giving it in order to then be able to be, to feel like you have 
um, confidence in the results that you have because if you're training on small data sets and then you're getting a result and you're like, oh, cool, now you're going to make a decision based on that result. If you're going, as you said, if you're going to make a medical decision, if you're going to change a treatment based on this result, how confident are you in the model that you're using? And you can only be as confident in the model's output as you are in the data that you gave it to learn from. So if you have high confidence in a mm -hmm. very, very high volume of data, then you should be able to have a fairly good confidence in the result that you get. Um, yep. And so it uh, to me, what the whole thing with machine learning and AI, it's not about what AI can do for us. It's not about AI, you know, becoming out of control and blah, blah, blah. It's about how we use it. It's about what we do with that information and how we how we responsibly use AI. I'll talk about in a second. We have now something called machine learning. There are so many solutions to this. It's all just incredibly unsexy to people, but machine learning best practices now, the FDA has released machine learning best practices. And now as the field has moved on, you start to have this idea of what are best practices and people yeah. that review each other's work apply the best practices. It is slowly working itself out, right? With, um, yeah, like data normalization where you try to take data which comes from many different sources and put it into like a common kind of space that it can be used in the same model is easily the most difficult part of the entire process again boring us all hell the other thing is data quality checks i spend a lot of my time going over the data like i i can't tell you how many quality checks you need because you always miss stuff mm. just like um, you get better at it, but you have to check for everything. You have to you have to check every bit of data that goes in there for the quality, right? Especially if we're talking about medicine. Quality checks, data normalization, these are important parts of it. But the most important aspect of how, why, how we need to manage AI in important things such as um, a, a police, a police stuff or anything that affects our life in any serious way, health, law and order, is to use it in applications that are based on those causal pathways. Yes? Yeah. We everything we every every application of AI in medicine is based on something which is known. That data is known to do this. And AI can do it better. Hallelujah. We aren't gonna jump ahead of what's in our knowledge already. And I think that is basically the solution. There are no shortcuts mm -hmm. there is no giant leap that's going to be like oh, every discovery that's going to be made in science is still going to be made in exactly the same way with due diligence making sure your data is good making sure your processes are good where ai comes in is where humans are shit and it gets better and it, it fills in those gaps makes things faster makes things better it's very distinctive where it can be applied and in what ways depends on what you're doing and it's not just that you can just throw anything at it and it's not that you can just use machine learning in every in every way everywhere and yeah i mean so like it's really useful in physics it's really useful in computational physics in you know uh when you have high volumes of data that needs to be analyzed when you have a lot of uh, like like we use it in the lab for uh, beam alignment that's what part of my thesis is working on is we use reinforcement learning in order to maintain the beam alignment and that can be really useful in experimental settings because you constantly yeah. have to realign your beam um, 
we can use a reinforcement learning algorithm to maintain that alignment. So it constantly shifts around, but it constantly monitors the beam and it monitors that. And we can do that. And we can do that in such a way where we've been able to do it in the lab and test and train the model on the actual experimental data in the lab, because it turns out it's actually faster to do it on the experiment than it is to do it by a simulation. It's incredibly useful. Um, but it's mm. not it's not yeah. a solution to everything. And it also isn't something that is just going to... It's not like one day it's going to learn to be like, hey, I can point the laser at the humans. It's not going to do that. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's no. just going to keep trying to make sure that the laser is focused and in the right spot on the, on the camera <laughs> for the detector. Yeah. Which we recognize it's better. Yeah. I think about things, um, I think about how radiology, radiologists, like that that being, you know, a threatened, it's for sure threatened. And that really, again, it, it, this back to sci-fi, it really depends on our collective will of humans, like the decisions that we make. Um, and it comes back to other things, like how do we treat doctors and burnout and all these sorts of interesting mm -hmm. things, you know, replacing humans with machines and like what's the ethics of that. So... I'm all for nuanced discussions on all this technology. I'm all for, you know, either, but yeah. Um, so I think let's move on from that topic. Super interesting us talking about the little ways AI is actually helping us. Mm. And I think that that's really cool. Like this is how we use it. Great yeah. shit. Um, yeah. No threat here. Like just fuck right off. Now, I think that there's a couple of discussion points with the AI um, that real quick even though it's so interesting here because they literally like have someone to raise their kid for them in the movie yeah. and they kind of check out of parenting because yang is doing a lot of the work and i just think that that's i hear that you know like we're very busy and the thing about kids is that they need someone to sit and talk with them and like hold space for them and and if you could have an android do that for you and the android Save for the fact that it can shut down at any second, and that's super confronting. Obviously, people have nannies. Nannies have their own yeah. lives and don't have the patience. Androids don't have that. So I'm like highly theoretical. But what really is the problem with having an Android buddy for your kid that is giving the kid what they need? Like, discuss. No, I, I was going to say, I, you know, I, I don't really see any difference between people who have nannies um, when they're at home. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know a nanny is there to entertain, but like, or, or to take care of the child, but not necessarily mentally entertain and stimulate them at all times. Teachers can't, you know, or have that expectation as well, but they also have responsibility for other children. And as you said, the, you know, the nanny will have other things going on too. And I don't know, it's like just kind of, yeah. I'm like, why not? It's cool. Why not? Like, yeah. Here's a buddy who can help you. So it's like you're, you're taking away the factor of exploitation of humans, but you take it down into <laughs> exploitation of AI. Yeah. Here we go again with the thing. Yeah. And, and that's the funny thing of service bots, mm -hmm. bots who basically are enslaved. This is a recurring theme in movies with androids is that the android basically is enslaved. Yeah. And he yeah. has a girlfriend. He has a hidden girlfriend I in this know. movie, which is just epic. Like he is hiding his girlfriend and I just love it because yeah, he's, he knows it's a secret because he's enslaved to these people. Discuss. 
I, I actually viewed from the way that they played it in the movie that it was special to him. You know, that it was like, it was, it was something that was just for him. It was his memory and his kind of connection to this person that wasn't about his service to the family. You know, even though you could see that in his memories, he had care and love for the family to a certain degree. You know, there were moments that he wanted to maintain with, with the parents, with the child. And that's what I loved about it as well. They didn't just show, it wasn't just about the kid or it wasn't about like, it was, you know, there was, they had those little moments where he's watching the yes. dad or where he's watching the mom. And it, and it's like, they're his parents. And that's, I mean, that's how it all plays out. Like to them at the end, they're like, he was our son. And, and that's how we felt about him. And and I think it's very normal for okay. parents to find out after their after their child has passed that oh they had a girlfriend that they didn't know about or they had friends that they didn't well know. yeah because kids know secret girlfriend yeah it was just for him secret and girlfriend. and he wasn't ready to tell yeah. his parents and you know and uh, yeah it was just yeah it was cute I thought it was it very was amazing sweet. well also he doesn't like clones is the other thing they kind of and I'll yeah. get to that 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 comes up a bit later but. He's keeping the secret in the same way a kid keeps the secret from the parents. And, um, you know, like families aren't perfect. Kids aren't perfect. He's another kind of person in a different kind of family. Sounds fine to me, you know, like, yeah, I, I just don't think. Yeah. I sort of challenge any, that there's any problem with any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love the scenes with each parent. Um, yeah. The conversations that he had, I loved as well the tea scene, the best bit of the movie, mm-hmm. where the, he says it. Um, Colin Farrell's character says, "Maybe it's time for you to learn the family trade." Yes, it was very clear he was a member of the family. It was never, mm. you know, it was. Yeah, and also the um, yeah, like I can't understand your relationship with tea, Dad. Isn't that a conversation that? I mean, you'd say. Look, I know you love jazz, but I can never understand what you see in it. But I wish that I could, because I could bond to you through jazz. But man, I can't understand it. It's it was any it was the same as any conversation, um, just with a different edge. Okay, well, yeah. um, one final thing. Wait, data visualizations. Yes, do, sorry. No, what do you want to say? no. Do, I just liked. I just like because we didn't because we didn't talk about this point at all. But I did like that moment when he finds the archived memory the alpha memory oh, do you know the alpha. it was it was kind of nice it, it wasn't something that really needed to go into detail but it was very clear that like you know it, it, that whole thing where you know he bought him he didn't buy him from the proper place but he was certified but you know and then he went there and was, was like certified. oh you bought him and he was certified but he was only five days and blah blah, blah. And it's because he had an entire life before before he met these um, two other families, like this entire life. And um, and it, yeah, I just, I just thought that was kind of fascinating to look at it. And it's like, it made sense where it was kind of like, well, you know, he has, you know, he's he's broken down now. He's, you, you, you won't, like, we're not, we're not trying to get Yang back. We're not trying to reboot the computer. It's not going to work. It's like, he's, um, he's full up, <laughs> but... <laughs> But it was, it was, I just, yeah. I thought it was quite nice and it was, it was quite a cool thing to kind mind. of be like, yeah. oh, look, you know, he, he saved, he saved this other life that he had and then he started to make a new, you know, with these, with the new family. Is that why he, he, do you know what? It's probably, probably shut down. It's probably, um, it's probably a little bit, uh, that, that connection to it now, it's completely not 
um, a theme in the movie as far as I can see. But like, it's probably got some connection to how how nannies actually feel, like how people who, who do this for families for a long period of time, you know, you, you go and you nanny for a family for like four years and you build all these memories with this child and then the child gets to a certain age where you're not needed anymore so then you have to go to a new family and you build these new memories with this new child but that doesn't mean you've forgotten about that that child that you just spent all that time with helping to grow and develop and stuff so yeah it must be a it must be a um you know it's it's kind of anyone who works with um children i guess and development that spends time with them for a long period of time to develop them and help them grow and then they move on and you're like you got to start again with someone yeah, new taking on that taking on the emotional yeah. burden of people again and again uh, yeah i feel but like we can do that exhausted but we can do that over and over and over again but you know yang obviously has a certain limit to um how long he can last for and he should have lasted yeah, he might enough- have been well, he should have lasted their lifetime, I guess, but because they yeah. didn't know he'd already lived an entire lifetime, he wasn't going to. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he he might have been just storing so much data that he fried his core. Yeah. Because he didn't want to forget. Oh, it's just beautiful. Mm. All right, last thing I want to just talk about. There was a tiny little thing, and it's not interesting enough, and we're going way over time. But the, I just want to just bring up the fact that the way they chose to visualize data, like the database, I mm. thought was like, oh, gorgeous. amazing! Loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, don't care. Not like you got to. It's a movie. You have to visualize this. We've come so far since Hackers, although maybe. Yeah. It kind of was hackers in a funny way. It just had this whole tree thing. It was, it was like beautiful. Uh, yeah, but each each memory was like a little. It had a had gold. It looked it looked to me like galaxies. When you look at space and they show you the yeah. visuals of galaxies, and each one it just was arranged like, on a grid. Yeah, each was its own little. And you go into that one universe. Into that one is really cool. I loved it. It echoed like so. It echoed the Tesseract of Interstellar for me too. Just the the the, the complexity when you zoom in, the fact that it's like fractal. Yeah, um, it, it was so beautiful. And um, we forgot to mention the opening credits scene. Actually, wow, we haven't even mentioned the opening credits with the dance off. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. Let's get it. Okay. You know what? That's enough for science. I think that is that. I'm reading your body language. Is that. That's all the science. Yes. Yes. That was loads. Okay. Let's get into what the fuck. <laughs> Play the music. What the fuck. What the fuck. What the fuck. All right. Um, anything say what the fuck in this movie. <laughs> the fucking you, right? dance break. <laughs> the dance off. The dance off. What was happening? Uh, oh my God. <laughs> What were they competing for? What were they trying to win? What all it, it suddenly brought me like it was the one thing in the whole thing that made it seem slightly dystopian, slightly kind of like what is this what future? Who who's who's tracking them doing the dance off? Who's <laughs> what do they win or what what are the rewards? And they're all in their matching outfits yeah. and, and it's like what well, what is this? What do they get at the end? I need to know what they get if I they know. win the dance off. <laughs> is it like I the know, lottery but you just it. don't do the lottery anymore? You just do like you don't buy a lottery ticket, you do a dance off. I don't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> I don't know, but cuz she cuz she was like this is really important to me, like the way they were treating it like serious. Yeah. Um yeah, it just doesn't explain it. I love how each family is a character's family. Of I don't know if like each 
family is just one of the it's George's family, it's the scientist's family, it's Ada's family, it's all them. Didn't not it's notice everyone. that at all. Didn't no, didn't realise it at all. God, the little girl, the little girl oh. was so good. Yeah. I just looked at this girl and I'm like, who is this small child who is just can do anything? Yeah. And she even <laughs> sings at the end, her voice at the end. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, my what the fuck was the clone thing because <laughs> – but when I watched it the second time, I did notice the conversation where they go to the neighbor and they're like, have you seen this girl? Mm. And then she was like, well, you don't like clones, so yeah. I don't want to tell you. And then they were like, oh, don't say that. And it's like, she's a clone and you don't like us. And so it's like, oh, the kid is a clone. I missed that entire oh. conversation, which was like this. So that when it, it comes, she's what? It comes but what? When it comes up later. And they go, she's a clone. I was like, what? Oh, okay. I just did. I missed (laughs) missed it. it. So then they go, they go to the memory. And I was like, did we really need this like twist that she's a clone and that's her original and he was looking for her and that's the whole reason. And I was like, what the, why, why are you suddenly bringing in clones all of a sudden? Why are we bringing in a twist? There's enough here. Like this movie is very slow and it's very like meditative. We don't need this like twist. I was like, what? And I still kind of agree with that. I was like, it didn't really need, like, he could have just fallen in love without there being because she was the clone. But but when I watched it the second time and I saw that they had mentioned she was a clone already, so it wasn't like news. And then it was like, well, he was connected to his old family because I guess he had missed them. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's not as what the fuck as I originally thought. So... I guess I don't have one. But it, it wasn't clear to me why he would have a problem with clones. Like, it, it, that didn't make any sense to me. Why he would Whatever. have an issue with it or why it he would have a problem with it. it. Yeah, it was a bit weird. Uh, I know. was a bit like, that's a bit odd. But then I was like, okay, it's there. It's just to serve some sort of purpose in the story. So fine, whatever. <laughs> he goes, it's just because I haven't spent... And he gets cut off. He was like, I just haven't spent any time with any nice clones. I don't know. And, <laughs> but I guess it, it adds the extra weight to Ada's comment about what's so fucking nice about being human. Yeah. You know, she... Now that I know the fact that she's a clone means that she can say that yeah. like you guys and i guess she's experienced discrimination people don't think she's really human and she's like well what's so good about being human I'm, yeah. i like being a clone thank you very much yeah and she was pretty upset when she found out that he only really like liked her because of her original she was crying and i'm thinking now i bet you clones have a bit of that shit like yeah <laughs> they get a little bit objectified because they look like someone that someone else liked and they're just like fuck like i thought that he liked me but nope Again, it's because I bet you the clones have like therapy groups where they're like, someone I thought they, they liked me, but actually it was because they like my original. <laughs> Am I even oh like, God. people don't like me for me. I. Okay. Okay, yeah. let's finish this episode. Um, it's going to be a long yeah, one. Let's move on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, so let's wrap it up. Let's do okay. final ratings. Let's start with the Sam's test. Does it pass the Sam's test for females in film? Yes. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I yes. think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, we're definitely stunned. We're excited by the female scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always nice. Um, does it pass the Here Comes the Science test? Um. Yeah, to a certain degree. No? 
Yeah, it does. It pulls the trick of not of not explaining too much. Yeah, which is our fave. Yeah, it brings up questions and it uses science in an intelligent way to uh, explore other themes. Um, so yeah, in that in that respect, I yeah. think it does. It gives us enough that we can kind of fill in the gaps if we feel like it. Yeah. But it, nothing that they do really goes against anything that I, you know, that gives me a Yeah. Line. Okay, let's rate it. Four? Uh, yeah, 4.3. I'm going to yeah. give it. Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Like, Interesting, thoughtful, cool stuff. Uh, okay, what's next, Abby? Oh, yeah. So, right. <laughs> I'm excited about this because you brought it up. <laughs> And I finally, and now, yeah, we're going to do it. So we're going to do Starship Troopers. Ah, uh, great, great fun for everybody. I'm excited Starship for that. Starship Troopers. All right, next, um, I'm falling asleep. In two weeks, we're doing Starship Troopers. Next week, we have the James Cameron Story of Science episode that's on intelligent machines we'll continue this conversation even though we we already had it (laughs) and this is which is funny because after that is the time travel episode so there you go (laughs) so join us for all of that coming up um please get in touch with us at science at the movies on tiktok at science at the movies on instagram uh email us uh science at the movies at gmail.com Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, man. Like, we just really, really need more reviews and stuff like that. And that's about it. Yep. Thanks for listening, you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. The end.